You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 427 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Monday afternoon slash evening, not our typical time slot to be recording this podcast, and I am joined, as I often am, by Scott Coleman. Scott, today was the official kickoff of the free agent cycle in the world of Major League Baseball, and the Braves were pretty busy, although uh, we have plenty to discuss. How are you feeling on this Monday afternoon? Hey, Brad, I'm doing well. Happy offseason to you and all the listeners out there. I think the baseball offseason is always a little odd with just its pacing and the way it goes about its business, maybe compared to the NFL and the NBA, which have like such grand openings to the offseason more times than not. Usually it's pretty quiet for a couple of weeks with with baseball, but we did have some pretty important option decisions for the Braves to make today and really just some important news around the rest of Major League Baseball as well. So there is no shortage of things to talk about. That's for sure. And I will say, you know, the Braves probably had more to tackle on this particular day than most franchises. If you don't follow this closely, essentially the option deadline across baseball, unless otherwise stated, is five days after the World Series, which is also uh, the end of the quiet period of free agency where you can only talk to your own guys. And that came and went as of 5 p.m. Eastern on Monday. In typical Braves fashion, they waited on most of these until quite literally 459 p.m. Eastern, as we kind of joked about, and then they actually did. But um, I guess we'll just dive in now, Scott, because there is a lot to talk about on a podcast that we don't need to go necessarily too long on. Definitely the headliner, and the one we were looking at the most is the Charlie Morton news. So Charlie Morton is going to be back for 2024. The Braves had a $20 million option on Charlie Morton, which they are picking up. It was first reported by uh, your friend, your nemesis, however you want to put that, Jeff Passon of ESPN. I have to say this at the top to hat tip our friend Stephen Tolbert, who found this on ESPN.com. I guess in a like a best fits piece that ESPN released, Passon had a section where he just kind of casually dropped that the Braves are going to be declining that option. And it wasn't framed as news. And I don't know if he was either mixed up or what happened there, but that was this morning. We all kind of speculated on that. And then in the end, it ended up being the Braves uh, picking up the option. So it, it's been framed by Pass and others. It's like not a no brainer. And I would certainly understand that. Like it was not a an easy 100% decision, but in the end, Morton back for $20 million. How are you feeling about this? And we talked about it a little bit last week, but uh, now that it's happening, where's your head at? Yeah, I'm happy to have Charlie back, by all accounts, a phenomenal teammate, really good human being, and a, a good starting pitcher. I mean, right? Not not an ace by any means at this point, but Charlie is coming off a, a perfectly fine 2023, and I know the $20 million, it is a lot of money, to be fair, but with the going market for starting pitching a one-year deal, it, it's not crazy or a dramatic overpay or anything like that. So it'll be nice to have Charlie back. 
you and I talked a couple of weeks ago doing kind of a, a thousand foot view off season primer. And my feelings then are, are the same as they are today. Totally cool with having Charlie back as probably more of the fourth starter in the rotation. But I do really feel that they need to go out and add a third legitimately good starter behind Freed and behind Strider. So overall, cool with the move. Maybe it's a few million dollars more than what you'd like to pay, but it's not going to break anyone's bank. And now it's just really a matter of how the Braves feel that they're going to go out and hopefully add an impact starter and not just go for a, you know, go the cheap way or the easy way and just hand the ball to an internal option because I really think that is taking an unnecessary risk going into next season. We're on the same page. I think this is really just a nod to stability in a lot of ways. Like, look, as much as I am known to be high on Morton and I am, he was, he's not a steal at $20 million. Like it's a, I think it's an appropriate price. He was worth according to Fangraphs about 22 million last year. So, and a pretty good season for him. He's going to be 40 years old. I get all that, but it basically just brings stability because the big difference between this season and, you know, a year ago, which I've seen some people kind of gloss over in the social media discussion about this is that last year they had Kyle Wright coming off of a very, very good season and penciled in as a number three starter this year, Kyle Wright is going to be unavailable all year long. So I know that Morton is not going to blow anybody away at this point, And I will certainly acknowledge that, but they just don't have a lot of depth. And if they didn't have more, in fact, we were prepared to talk about this. If they were to decline that option, it was going to be a, pretty dire need for two real established starting pitchers. And that's not always easy to do. So basically it feels like the desperation level has been brought down by this move. And I generally agree with you that it would be better if the Braves could slot Charlie into that number four slot, you know, Bryce Seller is number five, kind of go with that. And that means that you're looking at um, some intriguing options. We're going to save this for later, but there are guys on the more, uh, sorry, on the market who are interesting enough for, varying prices between like, you know, Aaron Nola on the top end, Blake Snell, et cetera, down to like Sonny Gray or um, Eduardo Rodriguez, et cetera. There are some names out there plus trade candidates. And this Braves team probably knows as much as we do that they're going to probably want to get another arm in there, but bringing back Morton makes it to where Alex is not, you know, hamstrung. Cause look, if they had, did not have Morton, the entire league was going to know the Braves were entirely strapped on starting pitching. At least Alex can look some agents in the mirror right now and say, you know what, if we had to roll into April with this, we probably could. And that, of course, is not what we would what we would do, as you just talked about, and I agree with you. But it's not a situation where it's like completely and utterly untenable. If they didn't have Morton, they quite obviously had to add. And now we prefer they add. We certainly think they should add. But if you want to say, you know, elders, you're whatever, four starter, and then you roll with some combination of Smith, Shaver, and all the young guys at number five, that isn't great, but it's doable. Whereas if Morton wasn't there, it would be completely untenable. Yeah, it definitely provides some stability, which is a great word, I think, to, to to talk about Charlie Morton at this point, right? There's not a long list of 40-year-olds who have pitched at a high level in the major leagues, but at the same time, Charlie has been really durable. He's made 30 starts the last five seasons, or at least full seasons. Um, he had, you know, of course, he had the the finger injury at the end of 2023, but that was just poor timing. It sounds like he probably could have come back if the Braves advanced in the playoffs, but there is an inherent risk with a 40 year old pitcher with as many miles that Charlie has on his elbow and shoulder and all of that. I just think, and this is, I think pretty obvious, but you know, just you run the risk of the rotation becoming very, very thin in a hurry 
if anything happens to Freed or Strider next year, if you do not add a legitimately good third starter to the mix. Again, I think this probably takes them out of like an Aaron Nola or Blake Snell type, but there are a, a decent number of kind of middle tier starters who could be available. The Braves do have some expandable minor league pieces they could use as well to add to the rotation. And uh, it just, I think it's a good first step. I just hope they take a second step to give this team as good of a chance as it can possibly have next year. We are on the same page, 100%. You know, I I even said last year, even with Kyle Wright uh, on board, that I would have liked for them to sign another pitcher. So you certainly could guess how I feel about it now. <laughs> I, I think that they need another guy. And I, I've seen people argue against that in the last couple of hours, um, whether they like the Morton re-up or not. It's something that I want to always stress. I know we talked about it a little bit last time we talked. But, um, you know, the $20 million price tag jumps off the screen with people. I will just say that it's a one-year deal. So the risk of that is uh, far less. And also... 20 million isn't the same as what it used to be. I say somebody brought this up. It might've been you. I can't remember who it was um, about how the, the Braves signed Cole Hamels to $18 million. And that was like five years ago. Um, yeah. It's it's kind of not the same. Like prices are going up across the league and uh, it's just a sticker shock thing. But I do think that um, even if Morton is, you know, 10% worse than it was last year, he's still going to be worth something in that, you know, 18, $20 million range. And that's perfectly fine for what it is again, for a one year deal, because look, the guys who are, what you would describe as potential upgrades, like flat out upgrades on Morton, they were not signing for anything remotely in this neighborhood. It was going to be, you know, Aaron Nola was is going to get a lot of money this winter uh, for reference. And I'm not even the biggest Aaron Nolan guy in the world, but certainly, you know, him or Yamamoto or Blake Snell or even Jordan Montgomery, those guys are going to get a lot of money over a lot of years and they're probably worth it on some level. But if you can sort of mitigate, and we also, also know this, Alex loves a, a one-year deal for a veteran. Uh, that's just not something he's averse to at all. Um, I joked about this actually in our document earlier. If they were not going to have Morton back, I was circling Kenta Maeda, who's like this very, very boring mid-30s veteran on a one-year deal. Like that's that's an Alex Anthopoulos move. And I think it's it still might happen now. <laughs> it's just yeah. um, worth in context. I would hope in early November, at least, without knowing what kind of market is going to establish itself, I would hope that they could at least entertain the idea of adding a sunny gray who i really like that's Eduardo your guy Rodri- yeah, always, no, always has been he's just sunny gray just feels like an atlanta brave right like there's those players even charlie morton years ago just kind of felt like an atlanta brave sunny gray eduardo rodriguez marcus stroman opted out of his deal uh, julio lugo also uh backed out of his deal so i mean there are going to be options out there it's just a matter of finding that sweet spot with pricing you know i love sunny gray but if a team is going to give him five years and 150 million dollars then forget it obviously you're not going to do that deal that has danger zone all over it and it, it's worth noting that free agent starting pitching is very very risky historically speaking Yes. Now, sure, you're going to find a Zach Wheeler or a Garrett Cole where you have an annual Cy Young winner. And yes, every single dollar the Phillies and Yankees pay there are, are is being paid back in spades. But for every one of those deals, you have a Steven Strasburg where health just falls off a cliff and you don't get anything out of it. You just go down a lengthy list of free agent starting pitching deals and, and they don't always work out. Uh, so I think it is just a matter of trying to get quite obviously, as good of a player as you can without having to commit to some insane uh, seven-year deal for Aaron Nola. I, I mean, I would want no part of that. 
Yeah, there's a balancing act there. And look, this is, it's again, it's more about safety and stability. No one, including me, is arguing this is like some sky high upside move, but um, it was available to them um, unilaterally. The Braves had their own. The only choice that Morton had here was to retire, basically. Um, Otherwise, it was just the Braves deciding yes or no on this. I think given that option, um, they, I would have picked it up. Um, I don't think, again, not not a no-brainer by any means, but certainly one that I would have leaned toward picking up. Last thing we should at least talk about for a second, and we'll save a lot of this for later on in the winter, is that you know Max Fried's a free agent in a year, and Charlie Morton, I, I would expect this will probably be his last year pitching. I wouldn't say it's definitely going to be his last year pitching, but it probably will be. So uh, looking ahead a year, the Braves don't have a ton. Uh, in fact, they have very little controlled starting pitching beyond 2024. Um, so that kind of speaks, again, to what we're talking about with maybe – another external option that maybe is a multi-year deal or whatever, because look, it's a rich man's problem, but you can kind of look ahead a year and say, all right, a year from now it's Strider. And then it's a bunch of young guys that you're hoping will pop like Smith Shaver or, or Waldrop or whoever, but, uh, or I guess Bryce Elder would still be there. But if, 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 if Morton and free were both not on the team in a year, then you're looking at a situation where you have very, very little stability. So that's worth keeping in mind too. Yeah, Absolutely. I'm sure this is all things that the front office has talked about quite a bit. Uh, I, I think, you know, we're talking about starting pitching and that outlook for the offseason. I would be curious to know if there's any reporting about the Braves trying to extend Freed. That has been a little odd for reasons. I mean, as we know, so many of the core players on this team are, are signed for many, many years. And it seems like Freed necessarily hasn't been even close to to signing a deal like that. There's been no reporting on it. So that is something worth noting. One more year of Max Freed. He will be in his final year of arbitration in 2024. Uh, You know, we'll see. I mean, I'd love to keep Max around in Atlanta. Of course, it's a two-way road. We have to see. He's also coming off a pretty injury-riddled 2023. I almost wonder if it's in Max's best interest to just go out and pitch next season and try to throw 180 innings to up his price a little bit more. Uh, but for sure, that is a, even if it's not a leading question of the offseason, a question nonetheless of if the Braves are able to work out a long-term deal with Max. Yeah, and that's an offseason topic for sure. Uh, you know, this this initial flurry is focused on the short term for the most part, but that is, you know, arguably the biggest storyline to follow the entire offseason, even if it's not going to impact probably 2024. It's more about the future. But Max Freed is obviously a key piece of this franchise and will be, at least for this year and hopefully moving forward, if you're the Braves. Okay, let us transition to the rest of the option decisions and news in the last couple of days. The other big one was Eddie Rosario, and the Braves chose to decline his $9 million option. There is no buyout there, so it was simply a yes or no on $9 million. They chose no. We discussed him a little bit on last week's show as well, but uh, it's kind of funny how how just deeply average Eddie Rosario was this last year, all the way down to a 100 WRC+, plus, which is exactly league average. Eddie Rosario is a useful player. Um, But this might signal a a bit of a shift in left field. And look, with Morton back, we just argue that they need another pitcher for sure. But um, it is not even arguable that they have to now acquire a left fielder who can play most days. Because right now, they don't have a left fielder that is major league quality as far as starting starting on their roster. So um, what do you make of this one? Because, uh, again, kind of a close call, I would imagine. But in the end, they chose to move on. Yeah, I will say at the beginning... Eddie Rosario is an Atlanta Braves legend. Yes. The World Series does not happen without Eddie Rosario. Um, A couple of days ago, I tweeted out 
a clip of all of his hits from the NLCS and just a remarkable, I mean, wow. Well, what a performance in the playoffs. Um, He of course signed the two-year deal and he had the weird eye issue, which kind of wiped out his entire 2022. And then, as you said, he was perfectly fine, perfectly average this last year. I felt pretty strongly that in early November, you can and probably should aim higher than Eddie Rosario in left field. I do think there is a world where the Braves could probably reunite on a one-year pact later on in the winter. I don't think a ton of teams are going to be blowing up Eddie's phone tomorrow, trying to get him to sign a a three- or four-year deal by any means. So he'll be around. And I do think left field is really the one position the Braves can significantly improve this offseason. I guess shortstop could also factor in there, although it is rare to find top-end shortstops available who would be a, a significant improvement over Arcia. But overall, man, you have a, a big hole in left field now, and you have some options. Presumably, they have some money to spend if they go the free agency route. They, similar to the starting rotation, they have some pretty solid prospects. Maybe Yvonne Grissom is is flashed out there to try to bring in an impact left fielder. So there's options, there's flexibility in the corner outfield spots as well. It's not like you just have to look at left fielders. You could look at a right fielder. You could look at a center fielder if they hit enough in order to move to a corner. So that is, uh, I think, probably the most exciting pursuit now, as we just talked about. I'm not sure the Braves go out and add like a super high-level starting pitcher, but I do think there is a world where they use some assets in order to bring in a really good left fielder to extend this lineup and probably give the team the best outfield in the major leagues. Yeah, I'm fascinated, honestly. And it's so early right now. It's not, I don't really have a good feel on it other than, again, they just have to get something going in left field. Maybe maybe they want to go a little bit cheaper at that spot and upgrade somewhere else. That wouldn't shock me if they were to go like a low-cost platoon. That's happened in the last several years. The Rays have not had a big ticket left fielder. I mean, once you count Ozuna, who has been mostly DHing and still will be DHing, I'd imagine if he's still on this team. So uh, maybe they go super cheap. I don't know. But um, this is an opening and like it's a good problem to have. This team does not have many openings. They don't have any other openings, really, as far as their starting nine is concerned on the position side. You know, shortstop has been a spot that could have up, potentially upgraded, but they haven't done that. So I think left field is an opportunity. It also could be a, a point of cost savings and we will see where they go. But um, and yeah, I agree with you, by the way. I'm glad you mentioned it because I can definitely see a world where it's January and Eddie Rosario looks around and says, um, my best option is to sign for you know five million dollars in Atlanta. Um, that would not shock me at all. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I think that's if you've been following this team long enough. Um, guys like to be here. Eddie, like you mentioned correctly, is a local legend, um, and he's the kind of guy that maybe he signs a deal. Maybe he gets like two years, twenty five million for somebody. That wouldn't blow me away either. But if, if the market's not there for Eddie, like you know, he could probably do worse than coming back here for a decent salary, but not one that's nine million dollars. Yeah. And as long as the Braves, as they will, as long as the Braves do their due diligence and look around, I just think you can aim higher than 33-year-old Eddie Rosario. We know about his limitations, extremely hot and cold. So much (laughs) of his season was basically carried by like a good couple of weeks, uh, disappeared in the playoffs. And I think, you know, we know we have seen firsthand that the playoffs are very, very random, especially in a small sample. But I just think you can improve that position, perhaps a right-handed bat to you know extend the lineup out. We'll see what they do. But nonetheless, uh, it's been a little while since the Braves have had an opportunity to really improve a vacant position in the lineup. 
and they're going to have that opportunity in left field this winter. Yes, they are. After that, I mean, we could talk about Joe Jimenez, who I know our, our able podcast colleagues have discussed with some depth, but Jimenez signed this three-year, $26 million deal in the last week or so, another kind of Alex Anthopoulos special um, kind of paying up for a reliever. That's the one spot Alex seems to be keen on paying for, which I don't necessarily, it hasn't like burned them, but it's just kind of notable to me and interesting. And I wonder both how you feel about that deal while we're here. And also I think it might've impacted um, maybe Kirby Yates in particular on that, on that option being declined, because look, we'll just say this now, they, the Braves declined Brad Hand's option, Kirby Yates option and Colin McHugh's option. So no huge surprises in there other than maybe Yates is the closest to that, but I think it feels like kind of connected because they paid up, you know, 8 million this year and 9 million for two more years um, for Jimenez. And that might've been uh, at least a factor. Yeah, I think so. I think if Alex wasn't able to get both Jimenez and Pierce Johnson signed, I think they would have been likelier to up for four and a half million for Kirby Yates. But because you have pretty significant dollars now invested in those two plus Iglesias and Minter, I think you probably can go bargain bin shopping a little bit and just you, kind of, use you probably have your, to, honestly. You're you're paying yeah. you're paying for I mean Minter's I know is, is still an R, but he's gonna get a decent chunk of money and you'd imagine arbitration. But you're you're paying real money to four relievers, including Iglesias who's making like top, top dollar at closer. So it, yes. it's a lot of money. Yeah, absolutely. So it makes sense to move on from Kirby Yates. Um, you know, my my takeaway from Joe Jimenez, I was a little surprised they did the deal just because of how they used him last season. Uh, looking at fan graphs, he had one of the lowest leverage averages of anybody on the bullpen last year. I mean, he pitched on average in lower leverage spots than Kirby Yates. Even like Ben Heller and, and Michael Tonkin by the end of the year was being used in higher leverage spots than Jimenez which is weird for a guy who they obviously liked. They gave up a decent prospect for him a year ago, and then they give him this three-year, $26 million deal, which is about the going rate for good but not great middle relievers. So I would hope that based on the money they're giving him, he will pitch well enough to factor prominently in the seventh and eighth innings. God forbid something happened to Rysel Iglesias. Maybe Jimenez would even be a closing option. But, you know, he pitched well if you zoom out. I mean, overall, his numbers were really strong. It was just kind of a weird year because it never felt like the Braves had full-on confidence in him, and they they backed that up with how they used him. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I thought Pierce Johnson was far more likely to re-sign than Jimenez, but to Alex Anthopoulos' credit, he went out, he added both relievers. I think both are, are good in their roles. We'll, we'll do our podcast duty and say that relievers are a volatile bunch and they go from good to bad to good to bad. But at the end of the day, you just accumulate talent and see what happens. I'm not surprised because of Alex's proclivity for relievers. <clears throat> I would have probably had the under on this deal and that's okay. I mean, Jimenez, you were actually on the forefront of this. He was, he was good when he pitched. He had one bad month where he allowed, I think it was, yeah, it was in May. He allowed five, he allowed runs in five of seven appearances, but before and after that, he was quite good. Um, he has great strikeout to walk ratio last year, more than five to one good peripherals. I agree with you. It was kind of odd the way they used him, but I think this kind of investment, maybe you've almost prompts them the other way. Like, Hey, we're paying this guy now. Snit. We have to use him like a top four reliever on our team. It isn't it probably isn't going to be that linear, but maybe a little bit of that. 
And look, his his whiff rate's really high. Strikeout rate's really high. He gets hit hard sometimes. It doesn't look always great sometimes. But I do think that he is a quality reliever. And given that, look, and this kind of goes into the Morton discussion and maybe the Rosario discussion and all of it, I think I said on the last show too, this is a team that just sent an attendance record and by all accounts is just printing money. I mean, I don't, I don't want to overstate it, but like they're not, not going to spend on, on the Dodgers level anytime soon. But um, I think that it's safe to say they made money last year, despite having a, um, I believe, franchise high payroll. And I think they should spend even more this year. That, that's kind of what you're supposed to do when you're drawing, you know, millions and millions and setting new, setting new records and doing all that stuff. Like putting that back into the team is what I think everybody should want. Uh, and I think that's maybe going into this too. Like, in a vacuum is three for 26, maybe a little bit more than I would have loved to spend on Joe Jimenez in his current role. I would say yes to that, but it's not my money and it's not egregious. And I feel like, you know, that that's a spot that Alex just likes to invest in. I mean, and I think, look, as much as there are, there are volatile down there in the bullpen, the Braves have put together an above average bullpen, this whole run, basically. I mean, obviously 2021 was the high point of that. And they, they caught lighting, lightning in the bottle with the night shift and all that stuff. And, um, but look, even this last year, it wasn't necessarily a one dominant all year long, but that was a good bullpen this year and they spent on it, but it worked. And I think they're looking to do that again. And um, it's not quite as projectable, but uh, when you last thing on this, I promise I'm going to stop rambling when you are as cheap at some spots in the lineup places like, I don't know, Ozzy Albies and Ronald Acuna who are making so far below what they're actually worth. You're allowed to go out and maybe spend a little bit more on the margins. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the three years, 26 million, it just, I think it looks more than it is. And what I mean by that is we're talking $8 million next year and then $9 million the following two years. You know, if it was more of like a three year, $21 million deal where it was 7 million instead of eight or nine in the grand scheme, a million dollars is nothing to this team, right? You mentioned the way they have printed money with ticket sales and merchandise and postseason success. So that's just, sure. that, 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 that's just brace foundation money, Scott. That's, all that's right. The 1%. Never. Uh, yeah. Love <laughs> it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, sure. It, I would have loved to have had Jimenez back for a little bit less money or maybe two years in an option instead of three. But ultimately, I don't think a Joe Jimenez bullpen contract is going to be what makes or breaks the team's season. And as you outlined, you have to have a good bullpen. I mean, if there is any way to derail an otherwise really good team, it is have a bad bullpen. You know, wins turn to losses in a hurry. Games that are close turn into blowouts. You just have to invest in your bullpen. That's really been a pretty consistent theme, maybe other than the Texas Rangers who had a shaky bullpen all year. Historically speaking, you have to have a good bullpen in order to win big in September and October. And if you're telling me that Jimenez, who did have spine surgery a year ago, so if you're telling me he's going to be more distanced from that and be healthier and and pitch in higher leverage spots than he was last year and not just throw in blowouts, all for it. I think it's about as good of a one through four in the bullpen as you can really hope for. Yeah, and crucially, just so people don't maybe people have forgotten this, the spine surgery was before the season, so that's that's not a new surgery. Just want to make make sure that's very clear. Oh, yes. uh, like that was before last now. season. Yeah. Yes, uh, so he's he should be recovered from that, and uh, you know. I actually forgot about that until you wrote it down. So I'm glad you brought it up. It was just uh, something I had maybe memory hold in advance of last season. And here we are. Um, you know, Brad Hand decline, pretty easy to project that one. Colin McHugh, I know we talked about it a little bit last time. I I, I would not be surprised at all if Colin McHugh is back for $2 million at some point. That just feels yeah. like it's going to happen. <laughs> uh, a minor league deal with an invite to spring training 
whether with the Braves or another team, seems very likely to me. We, we, we talked at length last time. McHugh is very good as a reliever up until last year, and then he stunk, and he was hurt early on, just never found himself. I would guess he's going to get another chance, and if it's with the Braves, you give him a shot in spring training. If he's good, then you put him on the roster, and if he just doesn't have it, you shake hands and you move on. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. You know, Yates, I'm sure, will get some interest. Um, and look, they had to pay buyouts to all three of these guys. Yates got a, a million, million and a quarter. McHugh got a million dollars. Hang got $500,000. So that cost them some money out of the bank accounts of Liberty Media. But uh, And I think Yates certainly has the highest upside of this trio. Hand is certainly more maybe safer, given that he's like not had the injury history of Yates, but Hand had the highest number. I think if Brad Hand's option was $4 million instead of seven, they probably would have kept him, to be honest. But $7 million is a lot for Brad Hand. Yeah. Um, that's kind of where I am. Similarly to Eddie Rosario, I think there's a world where Brad Hand could be back. Yeah, it, It's just not for $7 million, and especially not on November 4th, well, he doesn't have, yeah, he doesn't have the same team history too. You know, Eddie, it's not like Eddie's been here for a decade, but he has the ring in Atlanta. He has yeah. the local tie. Brett Hand just got here. I mean, what was it, three months ago? Um, four months yeah. ago? So yeah. it's not like he has this long history of like devotion to the Braves franchise. So I think it might be like a mutual, hey, maybe we'll, maybe we'll rekindle this later on. But if Brett Hand goes and has $5 million available somewhere else, he's going to sign it and that's fine. For sure. And next season, the Braves have some potentially really exciting left-handed relievers with Tyler Matzik coming back and the return. Dylan, yes, the very anticipated return of Tyler Matzik. God, I hope his elbow holds up. And then Dylan Lee, who had a bit of a lost 2023, should also be back, although I always hold my breath a bit with shoulder injuries. So the Braves may look to add a cheaper veteran lefty later on in the offseason for those guys. And then, of course, you feel really good about A.J. Minter. Uh, but again, just not a move you have to commit yourself to in the first week of November. I would concur with that. Um, other than that, kind of just housekeeping stuff on the 40 man. They ha- basically have to today clear out all the guys from the 60 day IL, put them back on the 40 man roster. So all the injured, even, even the guys who are still injured right now have to go back on the, on the, on the 40 man for now. Um, so they had some gymnastics to do there. They ended up having to outright Jackson Stevens to Gwinnett, and then he chose free agency. So Jackson Stevens, a guy who I think honestly is a very typical, you know, back of the bullpen guy for a lot of teams. It's just that he's uh, kind of a victim of the Braves having even more of these guys. I think Jackson Stevens would be a very interesting piece for a lot of teams. Uh, he's now a free agent. And then the Braves also acquired, uh, claimed actually, a left-hander from the Pirates named Angel Perdomo. But he actually is hurt. He had Tommy John in October, so I'm, that's maybe just a long-term play. Maybe they just like what they saw from him. Uh, he can they can put him on the 60-day at some point in the near future, and then have him be kind of hidden away for the following year. Because I can't imagine he's going to pitch in 24 if he just had Tommy John in October. Yeah. So some procedural stuff. Just as a reminder, you have to have a full 40-man roster at this date. So there will be a lot of coming and going. There is the non-tender deadline coming up as well in a couple of weeks, which uh, Chris and Steven had a good breakdown on the most recent episode on the podcast feed. So there's uh, no shortage of procedural moves on the horizon. Of course, Michael Soroka is probably the most notable with his contract situation and being out of minor league options. So we will see what happens there. Um, I'm bummed to see Jackson Stevens go. I I don't blame him for choosing free agency. He probably wants to go to a team where he's going to go and and pitch more regularly. I'm sure he would love a a major league deal. So he's not in Gwinnett as he spent most of 2023, but um, 
Yeah, just uh, <laughs> Major League Baseball's offseason is fascinating to me for a couple of reasons. And I just think the way that roster management is done is odd compared to other sports. But again, I guess uh, baseball is pretty unique uh, in terms of roster structure compared to other sports as well. I would agree with all of that. Uh, perhaps an episode for later on in the winter of talking about that. Um, one more thing I have to throw at you, Scott, before we get out of here on what will hopefully be a shorter episode than usual for us, because uh, it is Monday afternoon. Um, the Braves opened as the betting favorites to win the 2024 World Series. And this inspired a lot of takes that I saw. I'm not sure if you're privy to some of them, but um, my, my only take here is that they they should be. And that I, I know they lost in the LDS. I understand. Um, we are we are very much at the forefront of the the playoffs or crapshoot discussion, and we've talked about that for a long, long time. So basically, my opinion is the team most likely to be in the playoffs is probably the team that should be favored to win the World Series. And given that the Braves just led the league in wins and run differential and won their division by 14 games, and they've won six straight division titles, why wouldn't they be the favorite to win the World Series? That's kind of where I am. Yep. No, it sounds right. I with the expanded playoffs, it is going to be as random as ever. Of course. Yes. Yes. Naturally. But you're right on paper. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think that if the Braves did nothing else the rest of the winter, they would still pretty comfortably be a playoff contender. Like even if they rolled. Oh, definitely. No, you know, sure. Left field. They have to, I think Forrest Wall is on MLB.com. Forrest Wall is the team's projected I, left fielder. Which... I, I really hope if they I re- this is not going to happen. I really sincerely hope that if for some reason the Braves were just suddenly barred from making transactions, they would just make Vaughn Grissom the left fielder. Yeah. Get that man a left field glove. Which Please, they for the love of God, make that make seemingly been very heavily against. Maybe yes. they don't want to admit to the other 29 teams that he's probably an outfielder and not an shortstop. But um, regardless, the Von Grissom discussion is probably a good one for another day. Um, it just I don't know where he's going to play. But yes, I honestly, mean, though, while we're here, just real quick, um, you mentioned earlier about the fact that they have some guys to trade. They certainly could and maybe probably will. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I want to go that far. They certainly could use Von Grissom as the centerpiece of a trade for a left fielder or a pitcher. Would that surprise you at all? No, not, okay. not in the least because they just, again, man, I don't know where he's going to play. They, they probably don't want to trade Smith Schauber or Waldrop, who are their other two kind of big name prospects right now. And Vaughn is the guy who is blocked. And um, I'm not saying he's proven because he's not, but he certainly has been for a small period of time, but has been a, a MLB level player. He was good when he first came up. He's got talent. He's got position versatility, all that stuff. Like he'd be appealing to a lot of teams. So yeah. I think if you're going to say what they've said about how he's an infielder, all that stuff, um, I think it stands to reason that they might want to at least try to use him in a trade for someone that they need. Well, and Vaughn is a funny case because, you know, he's 23 years old. I think he just turned 23 because he no longer has the minor league prospect um ability like he's i think he would pretty comfortably be a top 50 top 75 prospect we should ask old friend carlos Colazzo where von grissom would would slot in on baseball america's top 100 list you know i think he would pretty comfortably be at worst a top 100 guy if not even higher up than that so you know it's it's just odd right if we were thinking of him as a top 50 prospect to dangle versus this guy who hasn't had much major league success, but has been really good in Gwinnett because he was, he had great numbers in Gwinnett all season long. 
got on base a ton, hit for some power. Seems like the glove improved a little bit. So he is definitely a trade chip. And if they are going to go out and acquire a starting pitcher who they don't have to commit six years and a hundred plus million to, or maybe a left fielder, he's definitely a candidate. And I agree. I don't think they want to trade Smith Shaver or Waldrip for obvious reasons, really hard to find young controllable starting pitching. And even if it is tough to project what starting pitchers are going to do, I think those two have shown that they at least have the talent to be special arms at the major league level. Yep. I'm with you. All right, Scott. Well, free agency is open. That's the other thing about the five o'clock today is that free agency has begun. There are other ways to construct baseball teams. In fact, the Braves have often like very often used trades uh, instead of, or at least in addition to free agency for some of their best players. So I'm not saying that it has to be free agency, but um, the stove is lit. Things are going to be happening in a big way. Now you can talk to other free agents. Um, I don't think the Braves are going to get involved on Shohei Otani, but look, I would like that. That'd be a lot of fun if they were. That'd be that'd be fun. Uh, sign me up for that. Please do. I'm sure they will make the phone call. I don't know if there will be a second phone call, but I'm sure <laughs> they will at least make one. Uh, that would require them because Otani, of course, just had uh, has, has an injury and cannot pitch this year. Um, that would require them to send Marcel Ozuna into the sun, which I think we'd probably be okay with too. So uh, anyway. It is a sacrifice I would be willing to make if it meant that Shohei was coming to Atlanta uh, no, he, he feels like a guy who's going to stay on the West Coast. Somewhere. Yeah, I don't think I think he's probably the only guy who I would just flat out say, well, other than the, the guys who just block positionally, um, you know, they're not going to sign a first baseman or a, uh, you know, all that stuff. But uh, Otani is the only guy that I think just price wise is like actually out of their range. Anybody else I, I could at least see the argument for um, y- Yamamoto is a top flight pitcher. He's going to get paid a lot of money. He might be interesting. I don't know what that's going to look like. But anyway monitor things with our podcast network. We'll have, I'm sure, much more coming from Sean and the Daily Hammer. We also have Chris and Steven talking to you all on the podcast we named later, as well as this show. So three shows for the price of one on this podcast feed, plus all of the written content at batterypower.com. Scott, anything to plug or share at the end of the podcast? Nothing to plug necessarily. We will be rolling out the player season and reviews on batterypower.com, which is always a, a good way to look back on the season and pick up on trends and all of that. Uh, the GM meetings do uh, general manager meetings officially begin Tuesday in Scottsdale, beautiful Scottsdale. It's about 85 degrees here today. Um, so maybe I'll hide out in the bushes of the Ritz Carlton up there and, and try to get the inside scoop with Alex Anthopoulos. But it's, uh, you know, well, let's hope for a busy off season or at least one that has some storylines and gives us plenty of things to talk about. Historically speaking, Brad, Alex has been very aggressive in the month of November. He likes to do a lot of his work early, so maybe we'll get that around uh, again this time around. But nonetheless, thank you, everybody, for checking us out. We will be back with plenty of content in the coming weeks, days, months, whatever it may be. And uh, always good to chat with you, Brad. You too, my friend. We'll have more content. You know, the schedule is a little bit more fluid as far as the podcast uh, recording is concerned in the offseason. Not quite the same grind, but we are certainly going to be here throughout the offseason so please stay tuned please subscribe to this show if you have Braves fan friends in your life and I'm sure that you do in fact I know a lot of Braves fans unfortunately that don't listen to this podcast and I hope that they will start in the near future but if you have a friend or two or three that not heard of us or have not given us a chance yet share the podcast with them we really appreciate that too again read the site as well batterypower.com subscriptions ratings reviews all that fun stuff and we'll see you all next time